Okay. So we're talking about helping an athlete like a boxer get his head in the game. So in his last fight, he lost because he got too reactive. So the guy who was, who was his opponent kind of did something like overpowered him or kept coming at him or something. And he got very reactive as a fighter instead of responsive and lost on points. So he wants to think about how to sort of stop that from playing out again in, in future fights. That's, that's kind of what we're at, right? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about training athletes, you hear me talk a lot about GPP versus SPP. So GPP stands for general physical preparedness. SPP stands for specific physical preparedness. But I like to add two extra areas to that. And that's G, psychological P, you have the little fork symbol, and S, psychological P. So just like we need to focus on general physical preparedness, we also need to focus on general psychological preparedness. And just like we need to transition training into specific physical preparedness, we also need to transition into specific psychological preparedness. So all that stuff that people do that we talked about earlier around, you know, this whole idea of, you know, deliberate practice and visualization and taking on board, you know, the ideas of deliberate practice into deliberate psychological practice as well. Meaning it's not just about thinking about it. It's about feeling it. It's about seeing every part of the movement and feeling how you'd feel in that moment, doing what you're doing and stuff like that. You're trying to recreate the situation so you can actually get more repetition and practice in because how does the mind work it doesn't differentiate between actually doing something and thinking about something so if we do deliberate practice where we don't just go out you know take shots at the hoop but we actually really try to get each shot in right there's you know we're being deliberate with that practice um, and we apply that to also mentally visualizing the process as well well, then we're going to get even more hours of practice in that don't really take much, you know, away from recovery in, in the body because we can only do so much physical practice. So that's where psychological techniques are very, very powerful. It allows you to get more practice in without putting more stress on, on the physical body, you know, doing it. You can run the race as many times as you want in the head without accumulating the mileage that you would if you actually went running and stuff like that. And same for fighting. So how do a lot of fighters use that? Well, when you kind of know what the strength of your fighter is, you, you tie that into their practice in the ring as well. So you start to make it more specific now. So if you look at Tyson, for example, you know, I love watching Tyson fight. So here's a technique which was called the, the peekaboo technique, which is kind of a lot different to how a lot of people were taught how to fight. And if you watch, you know, I mean, when I did boxing, it was funny, but when we used to do like focus mitts and stuff like that, there was no real... Um, strategy being built into it other than someone holding the focus mitts going left left right left 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 hook rip like just giving you commands and you just kind of move around and bum, 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 you know and then bum, 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 and you kind of do the command they're throwing out at you but if you watch if you go on youtube and you watch like tyson for example in the ring um and they do a lot of practice in the ring because that was the environment they had to fight in and doing the focus mitt sessions everything that he did was a beautifully strategic combination like each punch set them up for the next punch. So he would do something like he would come in with his hands like this and then he would go under like that and step on the right. And then he'd do like a right to the body, right to the head, step forward with the left like this. And he would do it on the focus pads. Cause everything's like when you hit here, the arm drops and you hit to the top, it takes the head back and you step through with a hook and you'll, you'll connect like every, they've got four punch combinations or whatever. And he was just like lightning speed. And then when you watch his fights, 
you would see exactly what he was doing in the ring on the focus mitts he was doing to people in the ring. It was like, boom, bang, 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 like that. So he didn't have to think about it, right? And he would be landing everything the way that they rehearsed it in the ring. So it wasn't just, you know, like we do, everything had a purpose and he just drilled it and drilled it and drilled it. So that's deliberate practice. And then when he wasn't doing it, he was thinking about doing it. deliberate practice mentally as well. But so everything became reflexive. So that, that's one part of how we use this to get someone ready, you know, as, 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 a, as a fighter and stuff. Now, but going into a bit more around what we talked about is, an, is another type of mental practice. And that is, what do we do when somebody has an experience where they take it, they take a loss because something went wrong, right? And this is something a lot of fighters all get confronted with. It's when what happens when something's not going to plan? What do we do then? Now, this is where, as a coach, we have to do something very important, which is, as we said, stress inoculation training. And this is something different. So when I was working with my fighters, yes, we were doing deliberate practice with our drills, but they weren't just, you know, left, right, left, right, but we were drilling something, but drilling, drilling, drilling. But we would also look at the opponent and we would study the opponent and we'd go, what are all the things that that person brings to the fight that could get the better of you? And we have to stress inoculate for that. We have to get you ready to beat that opponent because every opponent brings something different to the, to the ring. So with one of my fighters, you know, I sat down and we looked at the opponent that he was going to fight. Um, and this was kickboxing. And I said to him, I said, so what's your game plan? Because this guy, my, the guy that I was training was known for being a heavy hitter, right? He was, you know, like hit heavy hands in him. But the guy that he was going to fight was also an up-and-coming heavy hitter as well. And none of the fights ever sort of went past the first round with this guy. He was knocking people out in the first round in, in kickboxing. But he was a big islander with, with heavy paws. So I said to him, I said, so, so what's your game plan? And he goes, well, I don't know, I guess just do what I always do. And let's meet him and, and let's see who really has the biggest hit, I guess. Now, that, that's the mentality of a lot of fighters sort of thing. You know, if you get someone who's a striker, right, they don't, they don't ever want to think someone's going to outstrike them. So they'll go, you know, like that. And I, I said, well, okay, but what are you going to do if you hit this guy with your best shot and it doesn't even phase him? Or he hits you with one of his shots and you go, holy fuck, I've never been hit that hard in my life. What's, what's your plan B? And he goes, I don't have a plan B. I said, well, maybe we should have one, eh? You know, so he goes, okay, cool. So we studied this guy. And then I said, right, now let's, let me see something. I said, I know that you're a good offensive fighter. You're a striker. But what do you like as a, as a counter-offensive fighter? Like, what do you like as a defensive fighter? And we went in the ring and we said, let's, let's try it out. But he was completely shit. Right? If he's not moving forward, he's like a complete amateur. So I said, okay, well, here's what we need to do. And it was funny. Like, when he's moving forward, he had really good technique. When he's on the back foot and moving backwards, it was like he's never fought in his life. He was dropping his hands. He was getting frustrated. He was like trying to push me away and, th and things like this. So we said, okay, well, six weeks up to this fight, I said, we are going to turn you into the best counteroffensive fighter we can. We already know you're a striker, but let's get ready for you to count be a counteroffensive fighter. And it was a lot of fun. I said, here's what we're going to do. For the first few weeks, we're going to spar. But the great part was, is that you're not allowed to throw any punches back. I'm the only one who gets to throw the punches. And he was like, what? And I said, yeah. So I started off with him just doing 50%. And he was like, it was like a bump. Like he was getting hit. He was dropping his hands. He, he was losing direction. Like he was just getting overwhelmed, overwhelmed all the time. You know? And I said, we're going to keep drilling this 
until you stop getting so fucking overwhelmed and you calm down and you start to find your rhythm. You start to find your groove. You start watching me. You start reading me. You start learning how to move away from me. If I come in fast, you don't just go backwards and put your arms up. You break the line and you move away from me in a direction sort of thing. And it took us, it took about nearly about two weeks to really drill that. And by the end of that two weeks, now I was kind of throwing punches at about 80%. And then by the end, I was coming at him as hard and fast as I can. And he was covering really well, staying calm, breaking away. And then I'd come at him again doing flurries and stuff. And he was like, well, let's move away and breaking and slipping and all this. And in the end, I was just getting gassed out. And I hadn't even heard him. He got his defense so good. And it was something I have to teach fighters. I want you to write this down, Nicky, it's important. The two times when fighters lose composure, and I have this saying, which is when they taste blood or when they smell blood. So when you watch a lot of fighters, when they, they kind of get knocked out, right? it's either when they taste blood, like they get hit really hard and they go up against the cage or the ring and they start to, they, they kind of get overwhelmed because they got hurt and they've kind of lost control of the fight a little bit. So they, they, they lose their defense and they start swinging. These are amateurs that do that. You see them get hit and they, they start swinging at someone like that. And the other guy just stands back and then just times things and, and picks them off, right? So that's when you taste blood. The other one is funny. It's, it's when they smell blood. And I've seen a lot of our fighters do this. They're fighting, they bang, they hit someone and they realize they've hurt them. And the guy's like that. So they go running in for the kill shot and often run into a big rife or something and get knocked down. Right, because they, they get, oh, I've got them, and they, they, they lose all their composure, and they drop their hands to go and try to knock someone out, and they get hit. So what I'd want to do with this spider, if you really want to help them, is say, look, you know, there's all that stuff you can do around deliberate practice and rehearsal and you know, getting your head in the game and, and all that, which is great. And we can tie that into your, your, your focus, it works, everything's got a, a purpose, it's a strategy, right? not just going through, through the motions. So we can do all that. But... I would want to have a look at the fight and go, okay, what was it about your opponent that overwhelmed you and made you fucking lose it upstairs? Because you lost that fight because, as you said, you got reactive, not responsive, right? You lost composure. And a fighter can never lose composure in the ring. So you need to look at the footage and you need to go, what was it about it? And see, how was the guy putting pressure on him? And what you might find is that he, he'll have a natural fighting style. And a lot of fighters when they get closed down and they can't do what they know how to do, it just keeps getting closed down, closed down. They get frustrated, right? And you see this all the time in one-dimensional fighters. They've got one sort of style. And then when someone kind of studies them, we saw this happen to Tyson, you know, when Tyson got closed down and he couldn't do what he normally does to bully people and land the big shots, he got frustrated. Evander Holyfield. Right? Do you see the fight between Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson? When... Mike Tyson bit off his ear, right? Yeah, it's because Holyfield, who's a fucking great fighter, just had a game plan. He knew how to close down Tyson. And every time Tyson came in and started to drop to throw that big hook, Holyfield just went bang with a straight right and kept fucking hitting him. And then every time Tyson came in to get in real close to throw body shots and stuff, Holyfield just kept dropping his head and headbutting him. So he kept backing into his eye and cut his eyelid. So Tyson just lost composure. He just got frustrated because nothing was working. He had like a midlife crisis in the ring where what usually works no longer works. All right. So you need to, to help this guy by having a look and go, okay, so whatever it was that got you frustrated, number one, we've got to stop you being a one-dimensional fighter because the, more, the, the moment that somebody exposes your weakness, 
every other good fighter will take advantage of it. And now his weakness has been exposed. So he's got a choice, keep fighting bums who won't expose that weakness or get rid of that weakness. And the two ways that we do that is number one, go, what did I learn about myself in this fight? Meaning what was my one dimensional approach that once they got closed down, I had nothing left and I got fucking, I lost the game plan, right? And we give you another way of, of fighting. So I always teach offensive fighters how to be counter-offensive fighters as well. Not as their primary tool, but how to use it if they need to. If someone's closing them down offensively, how to be a bit more counter-offensive to mix it up a little bit. Um, and then you've got to do stress inoculation with them where you just go, okay, well, until you learn that, we're just going to get people fucking doing that to you and doing that to you in your training. All right. Now, and what I want to see, like with my fighter, is not that he suddenly becomes this great counter-offensive fighter now, let's say if that was his, his weakness, but they can just get hammered. Like I said, I went from this guy just doing 50% with him and he was getting overwhelmed and flustered and dropping his hands, like having little meltdowns and stuff. Like he was almost fucking having meltdowns when he got so frustrated. To me, coming in, giving it everything and him just staying tight, taking it, slipping, getting up against the cage again. I'd be like, bang, bang, bang. He'd be like, bang, bang, bang. And he would slip and push me out the way again and show me that he could have counted if he wanted to. And he, he enjoyed it. He got really good at it. He goes, yeah, I, I, I get it now. So you want to drill that into him. So if he's dealing with someone who can overpower him, he's got his plan B, which is how to stay tight, how to stay responsive and have strategy that he's been drilled into how to slip into move when someone's you know, laying down leather on them. Because most people don't know how to do that. Right? So you teach him how to do that. And that's how you help a fighter. Okay? That's very awesome. He's a really interesting fighter too because he can just switch stances as well. So he can fight in both stances. Um, so, yeah, I like – so I think he, he isn't – I know that he's not one-dimensional and, and he said that it was just his head. So I think that, that all of this stuff is really – it's just so awesome. This is, this is the exact stuff that he needs and it's, it comes down to that visualisation stuff again, like you were saying, like knowing what um, – what that weakness is and then going through it and then taking it into the ring and doing it in the practice as well. So, um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just awesome. him getting honest about what it was that the opponent did that frustrated them so much. Because when people yeah. lose it up here and get reactive, it's because they, they're getting triggered. They're getting frustrated. Right. Yeah. So you know, he may be like you said, you know, he's a very talented fighter. Like he's on the way up, which is great. And he can, you know, switch stances. He's got a lot of tools in his toolbox. But there was something that this guy did that frustrated him, that none of that stuff on the night seemed to work. Now, it could have just been he just had an off night. It could just be that, right? And the guy just capitalized the fact that he just didn't bring his A game for whatever reason. Right? Now, that'd be cool if that was just all it was. But this is why we've got to study the fight and have a look and go, so was it just that? Or what was it that this guy brought that, that just frustrated him, that just meant none of his tools worked on the night? And we need to stress inoculate against that and stop that from happening again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Cool. I like it. That was awesome. Thank you.